we will return to our series in Mark's Gospel, but because we are now uh, in Good Friday, uh, in uh, our accounts in Mark, we're going to try and time that with Easter. So uh, what we'll probably do is start a new series next Sunday, God willing, and then after a few Sundays, we'll go back into Mark uh, for the Easter period and finish our series in Mark, and then we'll go back to the new series that we've started. I hope that doesn't confuse anybody. But for this morning, my message is taken from the chapter that was read and some very serious words. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. I will read those verses again. Galatians 1, 6 to 9. I marvel, I'm amazed that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than that what you have received, let him be accursed. Gospel, good news, evangel. We're a gospel evangelical church. Our Sunday morning services are aiming to be gospel services. What is the gospel? What is, according to Paul in this letter, the definition of this good news? It's actually the most important question we can ask, and the answer we give to it is the most vital answer in the whole world. And the churches of Galatia, which are in uh, modern Turkey, uh, some say that the Celts originated uh, in this part of the world. So we don't know if we've got Galatian blood in us. But these churches, having believed the gospel, had been put under a spell and they had gone astray regarding the message of the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul, in an emergency situation, writes this letter, and all he does in this grand letter is answer the question, what is the gospel? You can't be wrong here. If you're wrong on this, you're wrong on everything else. And he is so urgent in trying to deal with this that he forgoes all the normal conventions of letter writing. If you read Paul's letters, he follows the custom of the day. But he doesn't do that here. Straight away, after the initial uh, greetings, he plunges straight in. He says, I marvel, I'm amazed that you have turned away from 
the gospel. What had happened? I don't want to dwell for too long on this, but some believers, they were converted Jews, Jewish Christians. We call them Judaizers. They had come into the church in Galatia and they had twisted the pure and simple gospel. Or to put it another way, they had distorted it. So instead of the pure sound, Jesus saves. It was a distorted sound. I think of an electric guitar amplifier with distortion. Verse 7. There isn't another gospel. There's only one gospel. But some, these Judaizers, have troubled you and they have distorted the gospel of Christ. They've turned it upside down. You have the same group mentioned in the book of Acts, in the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, they said this was a meeting of all the church leaders, and they were saying, we have heard that some persons from us have troubled you with words and settling your minds. Now, what were these converted Jews saying? Well, what they were saying was this. They agreed that the gospel was about Jesus Christ and that you had to believe in Jesus to be saved. But then, and this is the key, they would say, but you also need to adopt some of the ceremonies from the Old Testament. So yes, we believe in Jesus Christ, but we add what we have to do to what he has done. Now, you may say, well, we're not in danger there, are we? Uh, because we haven't got converted Jews, well, I don't know, <laughs> coming to our church and telling us to keep some Old Testament ceremonies in order to be saved. Let me read what one commentator says, just to show how subtle this is. You see, when people are bewitched, they're put under a spell, aren't they? And when you're under a spell, you don't realize it. This is what uh, Phil Riken says. He's an excellent commentator. The teachers who were getting Paul all hot and bothered. <laughs> you can think of Paul writing this letter. All concerned, all hot and bothered. They were using the same terminology that he used. They were preaching salvation in Christ all they wanted to do was take it a little further. Paul's opponents were Christian Jewish missionaries who had come to Galatia to improve or correct Paul's gospel and complete his converts. I think that's a good way of putting it. This idea, yes, we believe in Jesus Christ, but if we really want to be Christians, we've got to do this and that as well. And it doesn't just mean Jewish ceremonies. It can mean anything if we add to Jesus Christ. So you can have a false gospel because we take away from the message. Or you can have a false gospel because we add to the true message. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The danger of adding to the pure 
and simple gospel. What I want us to do is strip down the gospel to its bare essentials and ask ourselves, what do we believe in in order to be saved? And if we are evangelizing, how can we put the gospel in a nutshell, you know? Now, one thing Paul does here to show the seriousness of it is he anathemizes. <laughs> That's not a science fiction term, right? <laughs> he declares accursed those who preach another gospel. He's saying that these Judaizers, by adding to the pure gospel, are under the ban of God, under the curse of God. He says it twice. It doesn't matter. He says who preaches it. Let him be accursed. The word in the Greek is anathema. There was a Welsh preacher who's gone to glory now. And the way he said the word anathema made you feel it was a blessed word. Anathema, you would say. Anathema. Actually, it's not a blessed word. It's about being damned. Now, sometimes our problem is we anathemize Anybody who disagrees with us. Now, we're allowed to disagree on all sorts of things as Christians. But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the bare minimum, the foundation, we can't disagree. There's only one gospel. There's only one way of salvation. Very well then. Let's strip it to its bare minimum, and ask ourselves, what is it? What is it? There are several alones. If you're familiar with the Protestant Reformation, you will know what I'm going to talk about. The first thing that is absolutely essential is the scripture alone. If you prefer it in Latin, sola Scriptura. Sola means alone. The scripture alone. Where did Paul get his true gospel from? Where do we get the gospel from? Where has the church throughout the centuries derived its messages from? Now, Paul was a very clever man. He was probably the greatest theologian, along with Augustine and Calvin, that the church has ever produced. But Paul, even with his intellectual ability, did not come up with the gospel. You get some people who say, ah, yes, what you have in Paul's epistles is Paul's gospel. What we need is Jesus' gospel. Oh, no, Paul's gospel is Jesus' gospel because he received it from Jesus Christ. Oh, he gives us a bit of autobiography, doesn't he? Uh, he says in verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came, this is the answer, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the word revelation means? It's to take away the veil. Things that have been hidden are revealed. And Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, he knew his Old Testament scriptures. He knew them better than you or I will ever. But he still didn't see Jesus Christ. Until one day, when he was going to Damascus to persecute Christians, thinking he was doing God's service, his eyes were opened. 
and he had a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know what he said? Lord, what will you have me to do? Aren't you glad that the gospel isn't defined by the church, that it's not a church committee that has to come up with the message of the church? That it's God who reveals it. It comes down from heaven rather than us having to come up with the answers. Don't, don't you love this time of year? I love these cold, crisp winter days. As a geographer, what I love is sometimes in the morning you have what we call a temperature inversion in a valley, which causes there to be a sea of fog in the valley. And then the tops of the valley are under clear blue sky. Don't you love being out walking when you've got that? There is a revelation there of the beauty and the glory of God as creator William Wordsworth when he was in the Y Valley he wrote I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thoughts we have a revelation a revelation of God's glory in his creation but my friends you don't get a revelation of Jesus Christ in the creation it's only in the word of God this is where Paul got his gospel from. This is where the church throughout the ages has got its message from. This is why as a church we've got a Bible in the centre. The pulpit is the centre. If the word doesn't say it, then it has no authority. I've already mentioned the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, Martin Luther, he was the one God used do you know what had happened? For centuries, the Roman Catholic Church, which started off well, buried the word of God under traditions. And it had become so submerged that it needed a Luther to rediscover the pure and simple gospel. The word alone. And when Luther was alive, the word was made available, not just in Latin. Before Luther's time, it was only the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the Bible that you had. And nobody, apart from the clever people, understood Latin. So people couldn't read the word for themselves to find the message of the gospel. Even here in Wales, when Mary Jones, and there was a translation in Welsh available by Mary Jones's day, but even when Mary Jones was alive in the start of the 19th century, before she got her Bible from Thomas Charles, she had to go to the church to read the Bible that was chained to the pulpit of the church. Oh, my friends, we are the most privileged people living today because we've got the word of God. And it's not in Latin. It's in our own language, whether you prefer the authorized or a modern translation. It's still in the English language. Isn't it amazing? Uh, just a hymn. The heavens declare thy glory, Lord. In every star thy wisdom shines. But when our eyes behold thy word, we read thy name in fairer lines. How precious. Don't you love this book? I heard of somebody who was converted. That they so loved the Bible because they found Jesus Christ in it. They, after reading it, they would kiss it. 
How precious is the book divine by inspiration given, bright as a lamp its doctrines shine to guide our souls to heaven. The scripture alone. This is what Luther said after he dug the Bible from all the mud of church traditions. He dug it out. Do you know what he said? He said, we need to bash people's head with this because we're so prone to forget it. The church in Galatia had forgotten the Bible alone. They'd added Old Testament traditions which had been done away with. And do do you know how... Can I read some Luther? Are you okay with me reading Luther? Because he says things in a shocking way to get us to think. That sometimes breaks a spell, doesn't it? Uh, Paul says, if an angel from heaven preaches another gospel, he's accursed. So it doesn't matter who the preacher is. If he's not preaching the word of God, No hope. This is how Luther put it. He's getting us to think. That which does not teach Christ is not apostolic, even if it's Peter and Paul that's teaching it. On the other hand, that which does teach Christ is apostolic, even if it's Judas Iscariot, Pontius Pilate, and Herod that's teaching it. Do you get it? It's the word. Word. May this pulpit preach the word. May we, when we try to find Jesus Christ, look for him in the word. Now then, the second alone. Do you know what it is? Sola Christo in Latin. You know what that is, don't you? Christ alone. Christ alone. Now, what the Judaizers were saying was this. Yes, it is Christ. Christ saves. But we need the Jewish ceremonies, in particular circumcision as well. What is the relevance of that to us? Not circumcision, maybe. There are some people, they get really worked up about a particular Bible translation. And I'm thinking either of a traditional translation or a modern translation, it doesn't matter. Yes, we need Jesus Christ, but we also need a certain Bible translation. Or there are other people, they will make a big thing of a theological position, and it doesn't matter which side it comes from. (laughs) I can even remember to my shame as a student in a house party, Uh, trying to convert other Christian students to my particular theological view. Can you see the danger I was in? Whenever we get this idea that we've got to convert people to our position, in a way we're already adding, aren't we, to the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. Uh, At the moment, uh, there is a great emphasis on church government, especially Presbyterianism, young Christians are rediscovering it, and that's not a bad thing. But woe be to us if we put a view of church government alongside Jesus Christ. 
Or what about methods of worship, whether it's traditional or more modern? Whether we say, ah, yes, Jesus alone saves, but if you're a real Christian, you will worship the way we do. No, no. Here in Wales, uh, in the last few decades, nationalism has often been added to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Or what about today? Politics. No, Paul says, Jesus, period, full stop. We can have our views on those other things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the foundation is Jesus alone. I love the way Paul puts it uh, in chapter 3. He talks again of being bewitched. Oh, foolish Galatians, verse 1. Who has bewitched you? Paul, how are you going to break the spell? How how are you going to do it? This is how I'm going to do it, says Paul. Listen to this. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Paul uses an interesting word there. He says, Jesus Christ has been placarded amongst you. Do you remember seeing um, those people with the billboards in the centre of town? We haven't been in town for a long time, have we? But those people with billboards advertising maybe a shop or something. Well, Paul was like somebody with a billboard coming to Galatia. And he had one message on it. Not the end of the world is nigh. (laughs) But Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you know what these Judaizers had done? They'd added to that billboard, they'd written their own little graffiti, and it nullified the message. It nullified it, made it void. Now, I want you to think for a minute. We have to hurry here, because my time is fast running out. Isn't Jesus Christ enough? How... Can we add to Jesus' perfect life the Son of God becoming a man and living the life, keeping the law of God on our behalf, to think that we need to add to that? You can't add to perfection, can you? And then to think of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So let me read for you chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. What is that? What did he do on the cross? What is the word redeem? The word redeem means to pay the redemption, the ransom. We are bound uh, to our sin. We are bound to Satan. That's why he's got a hold on us, the devil. We have to die, and then our souls have to face God's judgments. What did Jesus Christ come to do? This is why you can't add to what he has done. The perfect God-man came to pay the ransom. And he did it by dying on that cross. And to suggest that he didn't pay enough is blasphemous. He paid the debts too great for us with his own precious blood in Christ can you say this my friend not Latin (laughs) sola Christo but 
In Christ alone, my hope is found. Let me propound. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. But it was that scorning that God used to bring us salvation. How? Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. How can, I don't know, a view of worship satisfy our souls? How can our view of church government ever pay the ransom for our sins? How can politics ever deliver us from hell and death? Only Jesus can. And if Jesus can do that, then what use is anything else? It's insulting, isn't it, to Jesus Christ to try and add anything, however evangelical it may sound. Aren't you proud to have Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Saviour. And then lastly, you, you can see why Paul is animated here. <laughs> it was Christ, especially crucified, that made Paul tick. Does he make us tick spiritually? D does he get us going? Or is it something else, something less worthy? And then thirdly and finally, sola fide. What's that? Not a dog? Faith alone. Faith alone. What Jesus Christ has done, completely, 100%, has to come to us if we're to be saved. How does it happen? Is it faith plus being circumcised? Add being baptized? Uh, coming to church? Having my quiet time? Uh, what else? Doing good? Or is it faith alone, in Christ alone, that saves? Uh, listen to Paul, verse 16 of chapter 2. He is divlewin ar davod, as we say in Welsh. He is blunt when he puts it. Knowing, verse 16 of chapter 2, that a man is not justified by the works of the law. To be justified is to have God declare us not guilty. It's not by what we do, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Or what about uh, chapter 3, verse 11? But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evidence for the just, the one that God sees as perfect, the one that goes to heaven, if you want, shall live by faith, by faith. That's what poor Luther couldn't understand. He was studying his Bible in Wittenberg where he was a lecturer in theology and he just didn't get it. Why is the just man living by faith? Surely the just man must live by good works. 
And Luther tried all sorts of good works. He even went to Rome, his son said, writing about it later, to get brownie points with God. He went on pilgrimage to Rome, where the Pope was, and he climbed a certain tower on his bare knees to gain acceptance with God, and he prayed on every step. And then the words came to him, a revelation, you see, the just by faith shall live. And you know what Luther did? He saw it. He didn't see it all at once, but he saw enough to get up on his feet. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to try by my works to add to faith. He went back to Wittenberg and he just believed in Jesus Christ and he lived a life of faith. And Luther wrote very famous words, before this verse broke upon my mind I hated God and was angry with him but when by the spirit of God I understood these words that just shall live by faith that just shall live by faith then I felt again like a new man I entered through an open door into the very paradise of God he saw it and Luther's seeing of it unleashed the fire of the Protestant Reformation and it set many others free as well. Why faith alone? Let me tell you why. The essence of faith is that it's utterly depending on Christ alone. Now that doesn't mean to say that it's only head knowledge of Christ. That's called easy believism. That's not the faith that Paul is talking about, or Luther is talking about, or I'm talking about. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves then doesn't work alone. It produces fruits. But where the rubber hits the road, the point where I am accepting Jesus Christ is what? Empty. Nothing. In my hand, I break. That's faith speaking. Have you ever done this, uh, this kind of um, equation? Zero. Zero plus zero is what? Zero, isn't it? Zero minus zero is what? Zero. Zero multiplied by zero. Zero. Zero divided by zero. Zero. Are you trusting alone in Jesus Christ. Two illustrations and then I'll be done. When I was first converted, I heard a lot of illustrations about Blondin. I haven't heard for years about Blondin. I mentioned him in Joyce Acrell's funeral. Do you know who Blondin was? He was a tightrope walker, I think, at the beginning of the 20th century. And his greatest feats was to walk on a tightrope over the Niagara Falls. No safety uh, wires at all. And people admired him. And somebody went up to him after and said, Blondin, that was amazing. And then Blondin turns to this person and asks him a question. Do you believe that I could carry somebody in a wheelbarrow? walking on that tightrope over Niagara Falls. And this person said, yes, of course you could. You're blondin. Nothing's too hard for you. 
So that person had head knowledge. He accepted in his head that Blondin could do it. But then Blondin turns to him, and this is the points of the illustration, and asks him, all right then, are you ready for me to carry you over? And you know what? The person hesitated. He shook his head. He believed in his head that Blondin can do it, but he couldn't trust himself to Blondin. And that is saving faith. It's trusting ourselves, our salvation to Jesus Christ. And that's not mere head knowledge. That's trusting him for everything. And he, my friend, is not just going to take you across the Niagara Falls. He's going to take us through this world and over the river of death to glory. Brilliance. And then one other illustration, or rather a question. How are you? If you're a Christian, how are you? Maybe like the Galatians, you might be bewitched from the simplicity of the bare gospel. When you have somebody ask you, how are you? Are you saying, I'm not sure if I'm really right with God because I've missed my quiet time today. Or I'm not sure if things are right between me and God because I've fallen into that sin. Or I'm not sure for this, this, this. Do you realize it's not what I feel or do that can give me peace with God? That my acceptance with God is completely dependent on Jesus Christ. The word for crucified, uh, when Paul said Jesus has been placarded as crucified, it means past tense, and it even means to this degree, not just crucified, but has been crucified. A sacrifice that's never got to be repeated again. What Christ did was complete. So even when I fail God as a believer, even when I fall into sin, and I'm not condoning that, even when I don't read my Bible, etc., etc., it doesn't depend on that. Yes, we need to do better. But praise be to God, it doesn't affect our standing before God. May we see clearly this pure and simple gospel. May we thank God for belonging to a gospel church. And may we make sure that having believed, we don't allow additions to come in through the back door. All praise be to God for his gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And we're going to sing now. In Eden, sad indeed that day, my countless blessings fled away. 
It's a translation of a Welsh hymn, and Bobby Jones has done an excellent job in providing us with an English translation. I think in the Welsh, it's about Jesus Christ on the cross, clearing all the books of heaven without asking anything of us. Uh, that, I think that puts it beautifully. Uh, we'll stand, and please, 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 don't sing out loud. Uh, sing uh, in your hearts. Uh, let us praise Jesus Christ. satisfies and we want to say father soli deo gloria to god alone be the glory and now may the grace of jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all now and forever amen